Hello, greetings. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. Thank you for the gift of spending time with us as we explore what God has made known in Scripture. My name is Ethan. I work at the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples in Los Angeles. The gospel call has come out that we all need to repent for the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is, has lived and died and is risen and is now Lord. But why? Why should we expect people to change their ways on account of this reign of God and Christ? Because otherwise, life seems like it's going on just the way it did uh, since Jesus died and was raised again. A lot of people think that they can go and live it up and sow their wild oats, so to speak, and then quickly before they die will make themselves right with God. There's others who act as if there is no God, uh, or questions if there is a God, and they do what they please. And there's a lot who cry out, wanting justice. And when they are confronted with the silence when they cry out for justice, waver in the confidence that that justice will ever be done. And yet, as Paul established to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So for the apostles, the emphasis was the judgment will come, that day is coming. So why does there need to be a judgment? What do the scriptures say about the judgment? And what will the judgment look like? will be our considerations today. And we'd love to hear from you, love to hear your thoughts about these questions or other issues. Uh, and please continue with us as we have this important conversation today. Because the question about why there even needs to be a judgment uh, is a question that many may not consider. It is automatic. Well, yeah, obviously there needs to be a judgment. But for a lot of people, there needs to be this question. Why should there be a judgment? And we might say, well, there needs to be judgment so that justice is done. Uh, God is a God of justice, according to Deuteronomy 32.4, and he loves justice in Psalm 33 and verse 5. As the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, when justice is not rendered speedily, humans will tend to act wickedly. And we've seen that, right? When people start doing things and they don't get punished for it, then they feel emboldened to keep doing them or to do even worse things. And that's why there is an accounting to be expected for all that people have done. And in fact, when we look in the Old Testament, we see the story of how God has rendered justice against the nations and even his own people because of their sins and disobedience. But why should justice be rendered at all? Well, God has made a good creation and he has set all things in order in Genesis 1 and 2. But man has caused great distress and has perpetuated injustice. What would it say of God if he did not intend to set right all that has been thus warped and distorted? It's a really pressing question, because a lot of people want to cry out for justice, but it's interesting that if you don't believe there's a God, why should you expect there to be any justice? If there's no great power controlling all of this, then injustice and justice are just two sides of the same coin. And like the preacher said, we all die in the ends, and if you're just or unjust, if you're oppressed or the oppressor, you all meet death in the end. So uh, it's a pretty depressing scenario, right? Uh, the fact that we consider justice to be important and that right should be um, promoted and glorified and that which is wrong should be made right is a powerful testimony that there's more to this life than 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 living and that uh, there's more to this creation than just ourselves and it only those who enjoy a certain level of privilege and those who haven't suffered much indignity 
uh, are the ones who wonder really what would happen if no there's no hope of justice being satisfied uh, for those who have been continually on the bottom uh, of, of such situations and have dealt with such terrible things uh, they very much understand why justice needs to be accomplished it's their only hope that they nourish and this is even true in Christ. In Christ, we are to seek uh, that all should come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. In Christ, we all recognize that if justice were truly rendered, we'd all be going to hell, and that we are completely dependent upon God's grace and mercy. And our greatest desire should be that others, even those who would harm us and do bad things to us, should also be able to uh, obtain that grace and mercy through faith and repentance. And yet, in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, the martyrs had this expectation that judgment was going to be rendered, that they would have their blood vindicated. And God did not say, no, that's crazy, that's old school, that's not how we're doing it anymore. No, God told them to be patient because the full number of their brethren needed to be established and God would satisfy justice. And let's be honest, a lot of skepticism about judgment stems from that anxiety and concern about what will come of us when we stand before God in judgment. It's a very tempting thing to want to say there's no God, there is no expectation of anything to, coming forward uh, in order to justify ourselves and what we're doing in the present. So what do we see about the Day of Judgment? Well, we see that in Jesus is the one who will be the judge. In Matthew 16 and verse 27 and John 5 and verse 22, uh, we see that Jesus will be the one who will provide the just judgment and that we know he will judge righteously and justly in Romans 2 and verse 5 and John 5 and verse 30. When will the judgment take place? Well, when the Lord returns, the picture that he gives us in the parables in Matthew 25. We don't know what time that's going to be. God knows when it is, but we do not, as in 2 Peter 3. We have this illustration used in Matthew 25, 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, that it's like a thief in the night. The thief in the night doesn't advertise when he's going to come. And so thus we do not know, we cannot know, and anybody who thinks they can try to figure out when is horribly misguided. And that is why we are not to give heed to those who would mock. So who will be judged? Well, we see in Romans 14, 10 through 12, that every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone will be uh, compelled to be judged. And even those angels uh, who have fallen in Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, all, um, no respect will be given to persons in math, Romans 2, 9 through 11. Very important uh, concept there, that uh, God's not going to esteem some more than others for any reason. All will be held by the same standards. On what basis will we be judged? Well, Jesus said that his word will be the basis upon which we will be judged in John 12 and verse 48. And James will speak of it as the law of liberty. And that consequences will be rendered according to everything that we have done, Matthew 16, 27, Romans 2 and verse 6. And there will be two sentences. Those who will be redeemed are those who uh, humbled themselves before God, uh, trusted God in Christ, and demonstrated righteousness. They did so by providing for those who were in need in Matthew 25, 34-40. In 1 John 2, 2 and 3, they know the Father and the Son, and they have done the will of the Father in Matthew 7, 21-23. They proved patient in well-doing and did what was good in Romans 2, 6-10. Then there are those who are found to be unrighteous. They are the ones who did not provide for those who were in need. Matthew 25, 41-46. They did not hear uh, the word of God, or know God, or obey uh, his word and his gospel. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. They did not do the will of the Father, according to Matthew 7, 21-23. They were self-seeking. They obeyed unrighteousness, and they did evil in Romans 2, 8, and 9. It's very important for us to realize here that the judgment is based upon what we have done and is not based on partiality with God. Therefore, it's not that God makes us go to heaven or hell. 
that we have decided where we are going. Uh, this is where C.S. Lewis's quote is very apt, that there are two types of people on the Judgment Day. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Uh, i.e. those who have put their trust in God's ways and have sought His will and were glorified and honored in, in sharing in His will, who will receive life. And those that God says that your will be done, that those who have decided through their uh, words if or deeds or both, they wanted to remain separate from God and all which is right, good, and holy. And so the righteous, in Matthew 25, are the sheep who enter in the kingdom, and the unrighteous are the goats, those who enter into eternal punishment. So we can see that there needs to be a judgment, what God has made known about the judgment in Christ, and that it's going to happen, right? But what's that judgment going to look like? And that becomes a really interesting question, because we all have an idea of what that's going to look like, right? Do we really all expect to stand before God in some kind of judicial environment to hear a sentence? It's very tempting, right, that we all are standing, there's this seat where Jesus is sitting, and you hear this, you know, decree made about it. Perhaps you are confronted with all the things you've ever done, and you have to hold be held to account for it. Uh, but we have a lot of witness about how God has rendered judgment in the past. I mean, we look at the Old Testament, we see the judgments of God. That the Exodus is a judgment against Israel, I mean, Egypt, excuse me, and their oppression. Uh, the elimination of the kingdoms of Israel and, Ag and Judah and the way they were exiled were judgments against their iniquity. The fact that the Assyrians and Egyptians, Babylonians and Persians and Macedonians uh, had their great empires, but then were ended in humiliation, were God's judgments against them. And we see this kind of judgment even in the New Testament. In Matthew 24, Jesus had spoken the judgment that was going to come upon Israel, meted out by the Romans in the first Jewish war of the year 68 through 70. In Revelation 13 through 19, John is given a vision of judgment against the Roman power, and that judgment is shown and given in terms of how God had judged empires in the past. The illustrations, the evocations that had been used for Assyria and Babylon were now brought forward and established for Rome. And who knows how many similar judgments have taken place? How many of the uh, various things that have taken place in human history have represented, in fact, the judgments of God? And we say all that not to suggest that the final judgment is just going to be a rehash of all these other judgments, but to indicate and see that all of these judgments uh, did not demand a judicial environment. Uh, God did not haul Assyria into some kind of docket and condemned him as guilty. Instead, we see how the evidence they, the events they took place against them, and the fact the prophet said, "This is what this is. This is the judgment of God against you." Uh, that's how that judgment worked. And so since God remains active in his creation, it's likely that there are many similar judgments that have come down against people who have claimed to be God's people, as well as those who never claimed to be among his people. Now, we'll be very clear about this. Uh, the imagery used to describe the judgment may end up being realized in a concrete way. We might really stand in some actual, substantive way before God and Christ in some kind of judicial environment, kind of like what you see in Matthew 25 or Revelation chapter 20. But we also need to be open to the possibility that the judgment is manifest in how some will go to heaven and others will go to hell. And on the final day, Jesus returns to welcome his own into the resurrection of life and that he dwells among them in the new heavens and the new earth. And that those who have obtained the resurrection of condemnation will find themselves in hell in eternal torment, according to John 5, 28 and 29 and 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 20 through 58, 1 Thessalonians 4 and Revelation 20 through 22. That it is these things taking place that indicates the judgment and that is the manifestation 
manifestation of the judgment. You know, do we need to cling so closely to this idea that there needs to be this judicial verdict rendered, or is it enough for us to be satisfied that the and very well might be that just as God has judged all these people in the past, thus he will judge all of us, and that the judgment is evident in the conclusion of the matter and where uh, we all end up. And we need to recognize that there are good reasons that the apostles proclaim the coming day of judgment. Because God, who is our creator, is good, and he loves justice and righteousness. He witnesses injustice and oppression and iniquity on the earth, and we are to trust that his judgment will not be idle, that he will indeed render to every person according to what they have done. And many have reason to ask, where is the God of justice, like they were asking in Malachi 2 and verse 17? Why have we not gone through the judgment yet? Well, that kind of question is beyond our understanding. But there's wisdom in trusting in God's patience toward us, that he is just, but he is loving and compassionate. He wants all to come to repentance in life in Second Peter 3, 8 through 10. That he has continually shown patience both toward those who are his people and those who resist his will. But we notice that when he does come in judgment, it is swift and decisive. So we see uh, Assyria, who had been the rod of God's anger and was used to punish nations. When their end came, it came swiftly. Uh, Judah, uh, Judah and Israel, both really, um, the, they went from a period of renaissance to collapse within a generation. Uh, in 750 to 722, and from about 620 to 586. Uh, when the end came for the second temple, it came quickly in the years 68 through 70. And, you know, we have to be honest that when we talk about judgment, we've talked a lot about the final judgment. Who knows how many other times uh, God has been judging his people and those who are not his people. And how that judge was made evident in the events and, and the things that have taken place. And perhaps... Although this is one of those things more easily seen in, in hindsight than in foresight or in the present. God is currently judging his people or judging others by the events that we're seeing take place. Uh, that things are being revealed uh, as we speak. Uh, but all of these are signs that the end is coming at some point and we need to be ready. Because woe will come to those who experience the judgment of God unprepared. You know... Do you think that you can live as you wish and come to faith and repentance in good old age? Well, what if good old age is not granted to you and your life ends before you think it will? I mean, our lives are a vapor in James 4 and verse 17. And we've seen ample evidence of that. People cut down in their prime uh, who experience terrible accidents, who experience a natural disaster, uh, who end up falling prey to a pandemic or some other illness. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can take place that we have not accounted for, and our end may come before we expect it. Or, what if uh, you know, the Lord comes before uh, we can reach old age? What will come of us then? Uh, do you behave yourself as if there is no God, that, as if you'll never be held accountable? That's the thing about Psalm 14. You know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And it's, it's tempting, and a lot of Christians want to say, it's Happy Atheist Day on April 1st, because Happy Fool's Day, because the fool says in his heart there is no God. And while certainly somebody who is an atheist would be included in that, uh, that's not really David's viewpoint. I mean, he's not talking about people who don't believe there is a God. In his time, atheism was very precious rare. Uh, the people who he was talking to believe there were gods. The problem was they didn't act like it. Notice that's what the fool says in his heart, there is no God, i.e. no one is paying attention. 
I can do whatever I want. And you see that behavior modeled by so many people. They live their lives as if they will never be held accountable for what they do. They just add insolent upon insolent behavior at the harm of many people to their own uh, benefit, so to speak, their own self-aggrandizement. But what will happen if God does bring judgment against such a person in their life? What will be of your life in the next life? And we know there is more to life than this life, that we will have life after this life, because Jesus is risen. And that's the logic that Paul is using there in Acts 17, that because Jesus is risen from the dead, we know there is something after this. And that is our assurance that there will be a point of accountability. Do you doubt that the God of justice will vindicate? For reasons beyond understanding, a lot of people who don't get what they deserve in this life. We could all say in one way, a thanks be to God that we all don't get what we deserve because we all deserve death and condemnation and all kinds of ugliness, certainly. But, you know, we wish that there were some people who really faced the consequence of their behavior in this life. And some, it doesn't happen sometimes. And we don't understand why. But we can have confidence that they will receive according to what they deserve in the next life. But we need, always need to be thankful that God is a God of love and mercy, and compassion, and patience, as well as of justice and righteousness. Because we should not take his kindness for granted. And we should turn from sin and death and find life in Christ before the day of judgment dawns. Because once that day of judgment comes, there's that's it. It's over. You, there's no run-through-overs or do-overs. Uh, we can't try again. We are now locked into whether we are going to be in sharing in life or in condemnation for eternity. And so may all turn away from sin and find salvation in Christ. Let us trust in him and be thankful for his patience, understanding that just as we would be in bad shape if the Lord returned the day before we came to faith, to understand that today may be that day for somebody else. And may all come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved and be able to stand before God when he returns in Christ in judgment. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for the blessings of life that you've given us, for your love and care and provision, for the creation, for uh, your covenant loyalty towards us. Even though we have proven faithless, we're thankful for Jesus and all that you have done for us in him for the life we're able to share, the the kingdom in which we get to participate, and for the uh, hope and expectation of his return and our ability to share with uh, in life with you for eternity. We're thankful for the spirit through which you strengthen us, and may we bear his fruit, and we're thankful for the word by which we come to know you, and all these things we pray for, thankful for all the material and physical blessings that you've given us. We're mindful of all of those who are ill. We pray that you would uh, place your healing hand upon them. We pray for those who are in deep distress and pain, that you would comfort and strengthen them. We provi- I pray that you would provide for those who are in need to preserve life where it is in danger, that your justice and righteousness may flow in the land, that all the powers and principalities may submit themselves to your will, and you would be glorified in all such things. Father, we pray that we would live prepared for the return of your Son in the day of judgment. We pray that we would turn from our sins and to seek to glorify you in all things, to recognize that the day is coming, and it will come swiftly when it comes. Uh, We pray that you would strengthen and sustain us to endure the day of judgment, however it may come, whether in this life and the next, or just in the next. And we pray that we will be found uh, pleasing in your sight, having done your will, that we can share in life with you in Christ forevermore. And we look forward earnestly to that day, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We're again so thankful that you've joined us, and we pray that you've been benefited by this. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to us where you found us. Um, what do you think about um, the judgment and how judgments get rendered? What consistencies can we see about God's judgments throughout time? What makes the end judgment different than the rest? And should we really expect to stand before a judgment seat as if we are in a judicial environment? Or perhaps are we going to see the judgment manifest in our final destination? Love to hear your thoughts, and if you have other questions or comments, love to hear from you at VenisherToChrist.org or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.